All right, welcome to TYT Interviews. We got a really interesting interview tonight for you with Ryan Grimm. He is the DC Bureau Chief of The Intercept. He's also a TYT contributor. You can catch him on Rebel HQ, which you can find on YouTube, Facebook, and our app as well. Ryan, welcome to TYT Interviews. I want to talk to you about a really interesting and important story today. The reason we're doing it on TYT Interviews is because it's an important story that is not in the news right now, but that made news in a sense, and uh, and I wanted to break it down because I think it's instructive for the audience. Uh, you're the one who broke the story about Christine Blasey Ford in the first place in The Intercept. Now, at the time, you didn't have her name, uh, but you were the first to talk about the fact that a, a Kavanaugh accuser existed. So that's fascinating, and so I, I wanna uh, talk about that with you. First of all, how did you know uh, that an accuser existed in the first place. So, and, and since I reported this, I've gone back and and talked to some of the people you know uh, that were closely involved with the Kavanaugh fight to to kind of debrief them on on when they first learned about this. And as far as far as I've been able to piece together, so on Thursday, on a on a Thursday in in the fall the, was the final day of uh, Brett Kavanaugh's confirmation process. And nothing, you know, had emerged at that point about this alleged sexual assault. The next day after that, uh, rumors started circulating among uh, people in, in the in the Senate, which uh, drifted out to people outside of the Senate. Uh, I didn't hear about it until Monday morning, uh, when when somebody told me that there was this this rumor going around, and so I just started asking everybody that I knew. Uh, you know, who had anything to do with the Kavanaugh um, confirmation battle, if they had heard this. And the, the, you know, the more I asked, the closer I would get to somebody who had a closer, um, you know, connection to it. Eventually, uh, somebody said, you know, uh, the, the letter originally came into Anna Eshoo, uh, you know, she, that, that she was a constituent of Eshoo's and then later uh, Feinstein got involved. And so I reached out to Eshoo's office, and you know they uh, effectively confirmed it. And I have a quote from their spokesperson, you know, in the story saying this is a constituent matter. Uh, we don't discuss uh, con constituent matters. And then I also heard, as I was asking around, that there were people on the committee, the senators on the committee, who had who wanted, who knew about this letter and wanted access to it. But that Feinstein was withholding that access. All of a sudden, that becomes an awfully relevant story because you now you now have senators in the same party disagreeing over what to do uh, with this with this letter that is in Feinstein's possession. The the senators who wanted access to it didn't trust Feinstein's judgment to just unilaterally withhold it. Uh, they wanted to. They didn't necessarily want the letter. Uh, published in full, but they wanted an opportunity to read it, uh, to review it privately, and make their own judgment then on whether they should talk to the accuser, whether they should talk to the FBI, or or what they should do, rather than just leaving it uh, to, to Feinstein. And so once I was able to confirm with a, a number of sources that there were senators who were frustrated by Feinstein's handling of this, who wanted this letter, 
then then that alone, that in itself is a story because you have a disagreement between uh, you know members of the same party over an extremely consequential uh, question, the handling of the confirmation of of the Kavanaugh hearing. Um, and then along the way, there's some uh, you know I picked up a couple other things. One of them being that uh, she had uh, she was being represented by Deborah Katz. I still didn't know her name at this point. And so I called the the law firm of, of Deborah Katz and I did um, kind of what is a, a fairly basic um, journalism move, which is to say you 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 act as if the other party knows exactly what you're talking about. And if they do, then they have in a way confirmed to you that that what you know is is true. And so I said and, and it, it is great to do this with receptionists, people who answer the phone, who are not, um, you know, who are not trying to carry out political marching orders. They're just doing their jobs. So I called up and said, you know, I'm writing a story um, about the uh, letter that was sent to Anna Eshoo and Diane Feinstein containing uh, the, the sexual assault allegations against Brett Kavanaugh. You know, who's the lawyer who's handling that case? And the receptionist said, oh, I'll tell you who's handling that. Let me connect you with them now. Uh, and so immediately, okay, this 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 tip, this tip was accurate. This letter exists. Uh, Deborah Katz is indeed uh, her attorney, and the, the the outlines that were described to me are correct that it involved Eshu and Feinstein. So then, when uh, she connected me with an attorney, you know, we spoke, and there are there's a I think a, a I think a decline to comment is in is in the article, um, but but that. That that gets you to a place where you know what the um, you, you, that you know a lot of what's going on, but at, but interestingly, um, at that nobody at that point was saying don't don't publish this letter, don't publish the existence of this letter, don't don't say anything about it. There was there was no there was no talk of that until until later. So Ryan, I have a lot of questions, and uh, that's an amazing story, and the way you got the law firm to confirm it was. Awesome, uh, and uh, and so uh, I know you can't reveal your sources. So, but I, I'm curious about uh, different things that we can conclude from your story. So it, it, it seems very fair to conclude that Feinstein genuinely didn't want the letter to get out. That that is my uh, that is my belief, uh, and you know they never. You know, I reached out to them on that Monday. I published a story on Wednesday evening, and I, you know, didn't hear back from them for for three days. Um, but yeah, it, it's 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 my belief that they that they did not want this published. That they they did not want this. They did not want this fight. Um, Ronan Farrow and Jane Merritt did some interesting follow up reporting within a, within a few days of my story. Where they have sources in Feinstein's orbit talking about Feinstein's thinking, and you, what you learn from that is that Blasey Ford reached out in uh, July to Eshu, talked to uh, Feinstein's office later in July, and when she sent the letter uh, to Eshu and to Feinstein, it said, "Please keep this in confidence until we have had a chance to speak." You know, it was not. It was not the kind of uh, you know don't don't ever share this with anyone kind of line. It was just like mm-hmm. don't don't say anything about this until we've had a chance to talk. And she told all of her friends, "I have decided to take the plunge." 
you know, that then Sacramento B has reported that, that she had, she had wrestled with it, um, emotionally, psychically, and decided that this was the right thing to do and that she was going to go for it and do it. But then according to Farrow and Mayer, she had several conversations with Feinstein's office and that Feinstein's position was, this was too, too long ago for it to matter. Uh, and you heard that objection a ton from Republicans. And you also learned that Feinstein's strategic preference was to keep the confirmation battle on legal grounds rather than to get into personal behavior. Mm. Uh, so after, uh, after hearing that from Feinstein's camp, and then after watching over the summer, as it appeared like uh, Kavanaugh was headed towards confirmation, at that point, the, she, at, she at some point said that she didn't, didn't want to come forward. And interestingly, she sent a letter um, to Feinstein saying, thank you for honoring my request to, to, stay, uh, to, to stay private, which to me is an odd letter to send, or not an odd letter to send, but it, it reads like a letter that Feinstein may have requested to memorialize an agreement that actually she wasn't going to come forward. No, uh, Schumer and Feinstein have made no secret of the fact that they didn't think that this was a winnable fight and that they were worried that it would, um, you know, cost them their, their chance to win back the Senate. And, you know, in their political defense, indeed, the fight over Kavanaugh did, you know, rally the, the Trump base. Now, whether Trump would have been able to rally them with more caravans or a bombing somewhere, or, you know, who knows what, what trick he had, you know, to, to kind of, uh, for his turnkey racist operation. But, um, that was, that was a concern. So I think you're right, uh, that, that she genuinely did not want this out. And all of these attacks on her from the right, ironically, are completely off base. So, uh, when, uh, Dr. Blasey Ford originally said, uh, I'm ready to take the plunge. That was well before your article. That was in, in she had sent the letter, she talked to the Feinstein and issue office, she decided she's gonna take the plunge. But then at that point, if I'm understanding this story right and the chronology right, Feinstein and Schumer decide we don't want this fight. So it, it appears that they originally held it under ethical grounds because she said, wait until we talk. Then they held it on political grounds, even though. Lazy Ford was ready to go. I don't have any reporting that confirms Schumer was involved with this conversation. You would, you would assume that the majority leader, or the, sorry, the minority leader, um, would be involved with some uh, this kind of decision at this high level. But I don't, I don't have any uh, reporting that that confirms that. But certainly, we know that that Feinstein did, um, you know, through through her staff, uh, convey to her that that this wasn't. Uh, going to be a, 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 a winning strategy to come forward. And, you know, mm -hmm. she, they're, they're, you know, Blasey Ford still at that point could have, um, you know, forced it into the, uh, into the public. But I think she decided based on all of the various inputs that, okay, this judiciary, the top Democrat on the Judiciary Committee doesn't think that it's going to be effective doesn't think people are going to believe it because it happened so long ago or it was too long ago, so it won't matter. Uh, and it looks like he's cruising. So why don't I, why don't I not um, do yeah. this? Oh, and we the, also in the timeline, she reached out to the Washington Post. You know, we, that, that, that gets overlooked um, sometimes. So she was in communication with a reporter 
at the Washington Post, who uh, was the first to actually, um, you know, tell her full story. And this was, you know, back in July, she reached out to their tip line. So why didn't they print it back then? So that that is a story that, they, you know, that reporter um, will maybe tell in, in her memoir one day. Um, but between the time of their first contact and uh, the, the final story being published was when those conversations with Feinstein's office uh, were ongoing. And so it appears like she told the reporter, you know, I've decided I don't want to go public. Yeah, look, that, that part of the story is disconcerting. The Washington Post part as well, but mainly, uh, and we'll leave Schumer out of it because it's not confirmed, uh, Feinstein deciding, nah, I don't want to fight. Uh, I, I think it'll be uh, politically uh, damaging, annoying, whatever. I mean, that is Democratic 101. And so if your story had not come out, it's possible the story never would have come out, even though Dr. Blasey Ford had decided in the middle that she did want it to come out. Uh, but she trusted Feinstein, and Feinstein apparently gave her advice based on some political calculations, not necessarily on what was the right thing to do. But that's me interpreting it now. And so yeah. let's let's play uh, let's play Feinstein advocate. Mm -hmm. You know what did happen? Um, he did get confirmed anyway. Um, she was attacked viciously. Yeah, uh, it did hurt some. It did hurt some red state uh, senators yeah. and some. Uh, some rural Democrats. The, now, is the conclusion to draw from that that you don't ever fight, um, or or is uh, or, you know is there glory in the fight? Is there is there a reason? Um, you know, is is that what we're here to do? Um, yeah. So to me, that's a no brainer. Uh, first of all, on the uh, morality of the issue, once Dr. Blasey Ford says uh, uh, I'm ready to take the plunge and, and do it, you got to do it. You got to tell her story because it's not fair to her, and it's not fair to women not to tell that story, right? Right, right, and exactly. And so, to play non-advocate for Feinstein, she set Blasey Ford up to appear like she was part of some type of uh, political setup by coming by, by these allegations coming out at the last minute. So, if you're if you're just a regular observer uh, from the sidelines, it it does look like. Uh, you know, this is, you know, they've tried everything else and oh, now they're going to try this allegation. But in fact, that was the complete opposite of what had happened. Blasey Ford reached out to the Washington Post and to Anna Eshoo's office while Kavanaugh was still on the short list. He hadn't even been nominated yet. She was trying to save the White House from themselves. She, you know, she, mm -hmm. she wasn't trying to be part of some last minute uh, you know, blowing up of the process, and so Democrats, by being uh, meek, meek about it, and uh, you know, put her in this in this rough situation. And who knows if she had come out immediately, uh, this situation may have been completely different. No, right? You know, I, I knew a lot of those details, but not all of them. I have to confess. And having heard the story in its entirety uh, now. Uh, I think that if they had come out when she Blasey Ford wanted to come out, it might have been a totally different story. There might have been a lot more time to investigate. They might have actually talked right. to, you know, some of the more more of the witnesses. It would have given more uh, time for more women to come forward, and some of them might have been confirmed. Some of them might have been debunked. But it would have been a fuller hearing. It would have been, uh, you know, we we would have had a better chance to determine if if it had happened. And as usual, it's Democrats not fighting, and they lost those seats not because of Kavanaugh. They lost those seats because of the same exact attitude. They don't like to fight. So Joe Donnelly said the Republicans are right, and the voters agreed. 
So, um, right. right. And so, um, yeah, no, so you're, you're, you're exact. You're exactly right. So, Ryan, I, I want to go to the next part of the story because also really interesting. Now, it, your sources, was it that it was rumors to begin with that you heard kind of almost randomly like buzz around town? Or uh, without naming who it is, obviously, did someone from another senator's office come to you like, hey, you might want to look into this? It wasn't initially another senator's office, but it was somebody who um, re who reached out to me not not as a like you know we're just you know shooting the breeze over over coffee. They they reached out because um, they know that I'm the kind of reporter uh, you know that is willing to do a story that is going to ruffle the feathers of Democratic leadership, um, uh, and that might and that might get might get blowback from all manner. Of you know, all, from all different directions, but that you know, I'm, that I'm the kind of reporter that I just if if it's a true story and if it's important, then then you report it. Um, you know, regardless of what, regardless of what the political consequences are, or the consequences to your access, or or um, any other considerations along those lines, you just you you follow the, you follow the story where it goes and 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 you run it. Um, and so I, I do end up getting um, a decent number of tips, you know, for that reason. Um, the Rob Porter uh, case was actually very similar from a completely different source, but it was somebody who who came to me and was like, "Look, Rob Porter is, you know, everybody's source in the White House. You know, he's he was the source basically for most of Bob Woodward's book. Uh, if you remember the first year of the the Trump administration." All of these fly on the wall uh, stories coming out. It's Rob Porter, and the source is like, "Look, I don't have much more on this, but he, you know, he beat his wife, um, and nobody will report it. Um, and I, I, and I've become one of the reporters in Washington that people will bring that kind of a story to, um, so, because so, I'll, I'll report it." So, Ryan, that's interesting on a couple counts. I want to come back to the Blasey Ford story in a second, but so. If I'm hearing you right, because this might be common knowledge in, in Washington and reporting circles, but it isn't common knowledge to the audience. So uh, a lot of the reporters will not report things if it's going to cause them to lose access to Democratic leadership. Right, and they don't uh, outright refuse. They don't say they, they won't say to somebody, "I'm not going to report that because it's going to hurt my access." The way it the way it functions in practice is they will they will get a tip. They will say, "Oh man, that's a that's a really great tip. Thank you for this. I'm I'm on this." And then a week later, source might say, "Hey, you know, how's that? How's that coming?" Uh, and it's like, "Ah, you know, been really busy with Trump's tweet and this and that and the other thing. Getting on it really soon." And whether and for some, I think it's not even conscious. They just kind of know that this is this is a really troubling story for me. Uh, a, I'm going to have a hard time getting past some editors, perhaps. B, it's really going to screw me, um, you know, with sources in the White House. Uh, and so you just kind of slow walk it, and in the back of your mind, you hope that maybe somebody else breaks it, and then you can do a follow-up piece with a lot of background details that you might have collected along the way. That's still a nice, nice story. You've got a chunk of it, but you're not the one, uh, you know, that that's feeling the heat for for breaking it. 
uh, and that and that ends up being the way that it works a lot. And so, people who deal with reporters eventually, you know, come to recognize those patterns of, oh, I gave that tip, and you know, a month later, nothing nothing had happened with it. Yeah. And it's never said like you know. And sometimes, you know, it's their credit. say, no, I'm not. I'm not doing that piece. And on the um, Rob Porter story, is it? Since he's there, the source for a lot of the reporters uh, in the White House, they don't want to report that uh, he he beat his uh, wife. Uh, I, yeah, and, and I think that that cut that cuts both ways. And one, it's on the one hand, it's it's biting the hand that feeds you. It's killing the golden goose. On the other hand, once you've gotten to know somebody personally, you've had some beers. Uh, you know, you talk about college football. Uh, it, it becomes more difficult for you to then write a story that destroys his career uh, or gets him fired or 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 levels or levels an allegation um, of of that level that he was you know abusive to his his spouse um, even if the even if there's firm evidence that it, that it's true and so the sympathies wind up lying with the person that you know. Rather than with the the first wife or the second wife, who you know, if if you happen to have been uh, close with them, your decision would probably be different. Yeah, uh, all of this is fascinating. Let's go back to the Kavanaugh story, uh, and I'm going to ask the question. You tell me what you're at liberty to disclose or not. Uh, I wanted to go back to the original person who gave you the tip. Was it a staffer from uh, a senator's office? No, no, it, it it wasn't. It was just somebody who. Was just you know roughly involved in in politics and knew about it and and knew they could uh, and, and thought that I might be the kind of person that might be interested in hearing it and might be able to do something with it. And um, and it's obviously a person who had access to it because you got the story right. You said it was an incident uh, back in high school. Uh, you I, although I said and I said it. One thing I said in the piece was that of the I, I talked to four or five different sources who knew about it. And I heard different versions of it um, because they hadn't actually seen, like my sources had not seen the letter. The letter was extremely closely guarded. And so all they had heard was what they'd heard about the letter. And so some people said it involves uh, an attempted rape in, you know, in a, in a room in a, a party. Other people said, you know, it might, it might just be that they locked somebody in a closet at a party. And so um, the the weight of the evidence was much closer to to the attempted rape, uh, but there were other sources that were saying that they'd heard something slightly different because since none of them had read it, you get the game of telephone going on. And do you know what the motivation of your source was? Uh, did they think that Feinstein was making a mistake by not uh, releasing this letter? They, they, they did, and they also um, you know had heard rumors that there were other uh, women. Who had who had stories to tell, but um, didn't want to didn't want to you know be the first one to come forward. And perhaps they were thinking of uh, his Yale classmate, who eventually did come forward, or perhaps they were thinking of some of the clerks um, that he had previously worked for, who said who had, who came out and said that, or who came out through an intermediary to say. That they that Kavanaugh knew of sexual harassment by his his former mentor, so you know some of the sources I talked to believe that you know if this story came out, 
um, that it could snowball and that um, other people would come forward, which did end up happening. So let's talk about that real quick. So you print the story uh, and it does not have her name, but it has details that turn out to be true. And, and you got the confirmation through the law firm and, and you did all the things that you described in the beginning. Uh, and what happened next after the story went to print? So we, we put it up, um, actually, I, I was going through the final edits while I was doing uh, uh, a TYT Live um, uh, hit on Rebel HQ with, with Eric Byler. Um, you know, I had my I had my laptop there while we were talking about actually about the Kavanaugh confirmation, um, and right after that ended, we we hit we hit publish on it, and that was cl- close to five thirty on Wednesday, and the timing was um, was such that the Senate was returning from its Labor Day break for a vote at five thirty that evening, so the story gets published. No, it immediately goes out. The Capitol Hill press corps is constantly on their phones, um, you know, waiting for senators to come back from their break and come to a vote inside the Senate chamber. And as they go to the vote, they walk past all the reporters, and it's it's uh, it's a custom that they that most of them talk, you know, stop and talk to the reporters on their way in and the way on their way out. That's how a lot of reporters get their get their access. So I knew the vote was at 5.30, we published it shortly before that. So all of these reporters see, oh, uh, Feinstein has this letter, Judiciary Committee Democrats want this letter, uh, but she's not giving it to them. And then they see Feinstein, uh, and then they see Judiciary Committee Democrats. And so Feinstein doesn't, you know, doesn't comment, kind of, you know, she usually does comment, does talk with reporters, but she doesn't in that situation, gets in a car, you know, head, heads, heads away from the Capitol. But that evening, then her, uh, the members of the committee say, look, we've read this story in The Intercept. You know, we, we need to meet tonight and we need to talk about, you know, this situation. And so they have a meeting that night and they press upon her. Uh, if, you know, if there are serious allegations of criminal conduct, you, you know, this should be turned over to the FBI. And so at that point, um, Feinstein that night uh, turns the letter over to the FBI. And what that does is it puts it in his uh, FBI background file, which is then accessible to everybody in the White House and everybody in the, judi- in the Judiciary Committee. Uh, and one interesting thing I, that, you know, if people go back and read the history of this, did she contact Blasey Ford before making that decision? Um, from all the reporting I've seen and from what I've been able to gather, she did not talk to her between having that meeting and turning, turning the letter over to the FBI, which is discordant with the idea of I'm not going to, uh, you know, share the letter with anyone. You know, it's not asterisk. I'm not going to share the letter with anyone unless I'm put under political pressure by um, other Democrats in the committee. Yeah. Um, so another mystery to me uh, that is uh, further enhanced by the story you just told is how many people in the committee knew the other Democratic senators and how many didn't? Because there's enough people that know that rumors are buzzing. No other reporter picks it up other than you, but at the time, uh, but but it, it appears based on what you just said that 
some of them were genuinely surprised she had the letter and they're like, what are you doing? You gotta give that to the FBI. So do we have any sense of how many knew and how many didn't? My sense is uh, a handful knew, but not but not all of them. Um, and some some of them, I believe, learned from other reporters who were who were making inquiries. Um, but I I don't believe that um, that all of them knew about it, and so some of them did learn about it uh, from from my story, and then that uh, you know that triggered them to, to to press harder. Now, some of them already did know about it, and it's possible that if I hadn't written the story. They still would have personally gone to Feinstein and said, "We want to see this letter," and and forced it, uh, forced the issue to the surface, with with without without my piece ever happening. Uh, that's that's quite that's quite possible. Um, well, but we don't know. But it wasn't a senator staffer who came to you, so there's no one particular senator who knew and absolutely needed it to get out, uh, and and we don't know that. Uh, well, they hadn't pressured her before your story, so that's right. pretty compelling evidence that that, and it was almost over at that point that they were close. Yeah, well, the vote was that week, right? Yeah, and so uh, very possible they would not have gone to her, and certainly right. would not have gone to her in unison. So that's interesting. Uh, so, uh, and then uh, uh, that's the other part that I was going to uh, talk about, which is what was the chances that it never comes out, right? Because I assume other reporters knew about it because there's rumors in Washington. And as soon as you printed it, they all had it. You know, I don't know if they immediately read all of your stories, but <laughs> you know, that was something they, that sort of they read Twitter immediately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and once, and they all stand near each other. So once one person sees something, they they tell the other reporters around them too. Right. So. It looks like if you hadn't printed it, if you hadn't gone and bothered to call the law firm and confirm it and do all that stuff and hadn't printed it, there is some percentage chance that that story never would have gotten out. Kavanaugh would have been confirmed. We never would have known what he might have done. Although I, I think having after exhaustively watched those hearings and and the aftermath, I'm pretty sure he did do. Yeah, he, yeah, he did it. We can. He, yeah. he may think he didn't. I think that's plausible. Yeah, um, but right. Yeah, right. Uh, and then the question is, uh, d would it have come out after he was confirmed? Because mm. at this point, like I said, lots of people in Washington knew uh, the contours of it. Uh, and so what are the chances that that never came out? And then you'd be living in a world where Democrats knew about this uh this extraordinary allegation from this extraordinarily credible woman uh, and and did absolutely nothing about it and ushered him through to the Supreme Court unchallenged. Um, so at least in in the world we do live in, he was he, he was forced uh, to grapple with uh, what he had done uh, in, in the past and that the public knows about it and that every decision that he renders uh, from now on, will be um, uh, in that context. So Ryan, I, I, another point I had not considered at all. That's true, if, if it had come out afterwards, my God, the rage that Democratic voters would have had uh, about the senators who knew and sat on their hands. Uh, which right, is what Feinstein had planned to do if you hadn't printed it. And in hindsight, 
uh, people would have been certain that if if the allegation would have come out, they would have been able to stop him. Now we know that actually that wasn't the case. Yeah. Republicans so, are willing to, to to ram him onto the Supreme Court regardless. Um, so that was something else that the, the public learned. But right, the, the, the outrage at them sitting on it would be coupled uh, with a certainty that if they had done something about it, they would have been able to keep him off the Supreme Court. And it would have seemed like the Democrats chose to to let him go on the court knowing they could have stopped right. him. Wow. Right. They are I mean they are so incompetent at politics, let alone the morality of the situation. Um so um did you get a sense of how many other reporters knew but couldn't get confirmation or didn't want to get confirmation like since it was going around town and and did it, you talk to other reporters about it afterwards? Uh so sh- shortly after the, the next day or so uh, I did. I heard from uh, one one news outlet that said, you know, we had uh, roughly what you had, um, but didn't go with it. Um, and then I heard from other sources in the Senate that they would that they would hear from other reporters. Oh, I, I had that, but I didn't. I didn't. I didn't go with it. A lot of them um, didn't. Uh, you know, were uh, to, a lot of them were saying that they regretted not thinking of the idea of framing it as a a fight between um you know the democrats on the committee and and the ranking member feinstein um and and instead were trying to confirm the details of of the allegation rather than that there was a fight over the over what to do about the allegation um so i don't know how many but it it seems like um from everything i've picked up that you know Probably half a dozen outlets or more. So um, it's yeah, half a dozen or so. Okay. So Ryan, it's not to congratulate you, although it's an amazing story and it made a giant difference and potentially could have made all the difference in the world. But it's to understand the process. So was it their editors who said, you know, hey, you don't have enough? Did you get a sense from them as to why the half a dozen or so? At the end of the day, did not print it. Yes, yeah, some in some cases, editors uh, and in some cases, the reporters just didn't think that they um, that didn't think they had enough to go on um, because they because they were they were focused on they were trying to get the actual letter itself uh, and and sometimes you can be myopic in your reporting that if you if you set out a goal, okay, I want I know that there's this letter. I need to obtain this letter so that I can, you know, so that I can publish it. And then if you can't get the letter, you, you give up and you move on to something else. Um, instead of, um, continuing to ask other questions and, fi- and finding, you know, wh- what the, what the real story might be behind the letter. Um, which is in, in this case was the strategic struggle between, uh, the Democrats on the committee. Um, and so, so that, that I think was a, a big part of it. Probably also the fait accompli with which the the confirmation was being treated that, at that time. You know, you were you were considered a maniac if you if you thought that there was even a slight chance that that he might be he might be stopped. Um, mm-hmm. And so when reporters feel like they know what the outcome of a situation is, they they kind of move on before the before it's quite over. 
Is, is it a little bit, is it fair to say, you know, I don't want to pick on other folks too much, but is it fair to say that if it was earlier in the process and they thought it had a chance of stopping the confirmation, that there would have been a little bit more glory in it and, and hence the need to, uh, to push a little harder? Yeah, and that's, yeah, and, and that's in some ways, like you could reframe that in, in a way that makes perfect sense to how people allocate their time. You know, people want the highest impact stories. Um, and, yeah. and right. So if they feel like it's going to have more impact earlier on, then, 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 yeah, they, then they might invest more, uh, more time on it. But, but towards, you know, ex but exactly like if, if you think if you, if, if, uh, you know, Gillum is behind by 10 points and some, you know, and somebody gives you a story that there are, you know, uh, there's a box of 200 provisional ballots that were mistreated. You might say that's too bad, but he's he's down by ten thousand votes. But if he's down by a hundred, all of a sudden, those two hundred votes become the thing you care about more than anything. So, in some senses, it is rational, uh, you know, yeah. to to take into account the the outcome of it. But it also requires you to have a broader imagination about what is possible. Right, that, that makes sense as well. And um, and and so I imagine that uh, some. Uh, folks gave you credit, if you will, for breaking the story, and and there was probably uh, a lot of folks who thought, well, that was a great job getting the confirmation, and it turning out to be correct, etc. But did you? Uh, I'm curious, did you get any blowback? Uh, did you get any criticism for it? Yeah, and it was one of those stories where I, I never, um, you know, in, in jur jur journalists are extremely competitive, and and we love it when we get uh, big scoops. Um, and and this ended up being a you know a huge one in the in the way that it shaped the conversation, but it never but it never kind of felt that way to me. It was never something I I was I was out kind of celebrating uh, because it was such um, such a, a personal, a delicate, difficult um, situation for you know for uh, for Christine Blasey Ford, um, who uh, you know I. Didn't know who didn't know who she was. Um, never had a chance to speak to her. Um, didn't and the people who were advocating for her um, and we we can get into this maybe further down the road. Um, you know, never if it was the case that she absolutely didn't want the the story out that 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 message was never delivered before the the you know the ball before the ball got rolling. Um, but because of the 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 heightened sensitivity of it. I very much did not want to be part of the story, um, and I didn't want my reporting to be part of the story. I wanted her to be able to, um, you know, take take uh, you know take center stage as she when she decided to to come forward. Um, so I didn't want to talk about her lawyers or any or any or anything else. And in in the very beginning, there were there were some people who said, uh, you know, what are you doing, you know. Outing a, a sexual uh, assault survivor against her will, and I didn't. I didn't even really push back in in the moment. I just kind of let them, you know, let 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 the critics say that. My argument would have been if I was going to push back. Well, that it wasn't against her will. Nobody told me who she was, nor did they tell me she didn't, uh, you know, want want to come forward. Um, and and interestingly, it was other reporters. Uh, Ronan Farrow and Jane Mayer, New York Times, who actually did report 
apparently against her will, significant details of of what happened. My my story only said it involved uh I forget the exact wording, but you know, an incident between, you know, an, an allegation of an incident between um between her and, and between a woman and Kavanaugh while she was in high school. Um so yeah, it it, it was it wasn't wasn't a, it wasn't a situation where um I was out throwing myself a parade. No, no, I, I totally get that. I, I'm also wondering though if there was um whether there was any blowback from uh, senators, leadership, Democrats, I don't know if anyone at the Intercept cares about that. But <laughs> but, but was uh, there any? Uh, you know, n- not not a ton because the relationship that the Intercept has with the Democratic leadership and with um, the kind of you know some of the more establishment figures of the, of the Democratic Party. Uh, to use an overused phrase, it is it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it it we we talk. Um, it's it's in my interest to talk to them, uh, to allow them to give give me their side. It's in their interest to to give me their side. Um, but nobody's under any illusions that we're, um, you know, the, the you know we're the best of friends here. Um, and so it it wasn't, you know, in, in other words there wasn't a whole lot of relationship to kind of burn although the the individual people uh you know congress is an interesting place since this the and this, the senate and the house are interesting places all of the the individual staffers there um i get along great with like they, because you know they they're they're doing their job and they're doing the best job that they can um but it's but it's on the up and up you know the intercept says on its front page we do adversarial journalism. Yeah, I'm a contributor to the Young Turks. Young Turks makes no uh, you know, secret about you know, what its approach to, to journalism is. And so as long as that's on the table, uh, it's, it's easy to have a very collegial, uh, friendly relationship, even if the, the product itself uh, might, might cause a lot of heartburn in the end. Yeah, uh, look, you, you did the story for The Intercept. Uh, you happen to talk about it on a Young Turks stream. But it, I would have been highly amused if someone came to me and said, "You know, Ryan Grimm works for the Young Turks, and you know, and he broke this story, and, and we're really mad about it in the Senate." <laughs> right, right, well, it, it, right. I would have been like, right. "Yes, yeah. yeah, it's you know, right." What? what not what, about what, the not about know. the Blasey Ford situation, right. obviously, as you pointed out earlier, but that you made uh, Democratic senators angry. That's your job. You're right. To, that, <laughs> right. That is the job, and and everybody and that, that's the that's the irony of access journalism. Every, everybody knows that um, we're not going anywhere. They're probably not going anywhere. Um, might as well, you know, get along. We're going to be doing this every day. Um, yeah, you might get better stories from Rob Porter if if you don't, you know, put that put that story out. But uh, you know, there are going to be. Uh, you know, dozens of more people in that position um, and in positions like it. Um, so, yeah. there, there. You know, if, if you want to just do it on a cost-benefit analysis, you actually might get better stories and do better journalism um, without worrying about that. Yeah, it, it, trust me, there'll be more leakers in the Trump White House. Uh, <laughs> right. So, super last thing here in the minute that we have left, uh, Ryan. Uh, when you uh, hit send, did you have any idea how big the story was going to be? 
No, no. I well, it, I knew it was a wild card. It was, you know, if the 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 the, the ten or eleven version of what I'd been hearing was in the letter uh, was was accurate, then then yes, then I thought that it, this would be this would be explosive. If, if it was, as some people had said, that he attempted to rape someone with um, it was somebody else present in the room, then I did, but. I wasn't sh- I wasn't 100% sure that that's what the allegation was. If the allegation were just he locked a 15-year-old in a closet uh, and was really rude to them, then I then I assumed that the that it would um just kind of vanish. And so when the I think it was the New York Times you know confirmed that the letter existed but then also reported the details that it involved an alleged rape. Uh that's when I knew okay that because because I had heard m- many more details of, of the attempted rape then that then knowing that it actually that those were right i was like okay now this is going to be a huge story yep all right ryan grimm dc bureau chief of the intercept and young tourist contributor thank you for joining us amazing story appreciate you telling yeah. it